0: Welcome to Podcast Sans Frontiers, a Metal Gear Solid audio experience. Here, we infiltrate the narrative, interrogate the characters, extract the themes, via Fulton, of course, and finally face down the technological behemoth that is the Metal Gear franchise. This is Snake. Kaz, can you hear me? I'm Manu, also known as Manuclear Bomb. Hi, I'm Brian. Today's episode is America's Backyard our second episode on 2010's Metal Gear Solid, Peace Walker. We will kick off the narrative properly today, including dives into some of the game's prominent new characters. But first, our spoiler warning for this and every episode. Everything is declassified. We know who Sigint becomes, we know who Meryl marries, we know the fate of Master Kazuhira Miller. This is not a playthrough podcast. It's all on the table for discussion as we progress through the games. As you both know... The United States views Central America as its backyard. MGS Peace Walker opens with text recapping the events of MGS3. The boss's legacy, her defection, the nuke detonated on Soviet soil, and of course, that the boss's apprentice, this snake, was sent in to kill her and absolve the US of complicity. The text scrawl ends thusly. Having saved the world, Snake was hailed as a true hero and given the title Big Boss. Following the award ceremony, however, Snake disappeared. A couple of things pop out right away. Those last words read as Snake disappeared, not Big Boss disappeared. Snake has not accepted the title given to him, not yet at least. And his salute at the boss's grave was not a mourn and move on situation. He's still clearly shaken by everything that occurred in Selino Yarsk. And his disappearance throws the canonical value of Metal Gear Solid Portable Ops into question. This game will refer to past events in San Geronimo, which is where Portable Ops takes place, but whether the events transpired as such is never specified. For all intents and purposes, this game is a straight sequel to MGS3, in no small part because Kojima actually wrote and directed this one. Also, this might be nothing, but another thing about it saying Snake Disappeared. It's very possible that Big Boss, as a hero, as an idea, as a vessel for American power brokers to promote American hegemony, is still going strong. We cut into the game engine proper now, along the rainy Barranquilla coast in Colombia. It's November of 1974. Here we find Naked Snake upon his motorcycle smoking a cigar. Immediately, my mind jumps to the end of the phantom pain, which sees Big Boss have a cigar on his bike before riding off into the sunset. Snake makes his way towards the beach, where his men are currently training. Along the way, he straightens a crooked sign that reveals to us "Militar sans Frontières, i.e. an army without borders or soldiers without borders. Feel free to do the Leo DiCaprio pointing at TV meme from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, as yeah, that's where our podcast name comes from. As an aside, we sure were smart to name our Metal Gear Solid podcast something with none of metal, gear, or solid in the title. Absolutely owning this whole SEO thing. But our podcast name rules, and that was Brian's call. Here's to you, buddy. Oh, and before the start menu loads when you boot up the game, there is a disclaimer that this is in no way based on Medico Sans Frontiers or Doctors Without Borders, which lol.
1: I laugh at that every time I see it. I don't know, laugh, but I always smirk at it at least. It's it's funny to.
0: <laughs> oh, oh, this isn't based on hospitals without borders? No, no effing way. <laughs> Damn. Anyway, back to the beach where the player gets a tutorial on the game's traversal and CQC mechanics. Snake takes off his shirt and shows the boys how it's done. For their part, the MSF soldiers are more than willing to frolic on the ground with Snake. Just don't call him Big Boss.
1: Just guys being dudes, nothing better. Lots of that in this game. Thank you, Big Boss. Call me Snake. Oh, uh, sorry, Vic Boss. Once
0: the tutorial is completed, the game's engine gives way to the 2D cutscenes we talked about last episode. Ashley Wood renders the story in comic book, Yoji Shinkawa-style art. A jeep was... A jeep driven by Snake's second-in-command has pulled up, and he's got guests with him. We'll get to those guests over the course of this episode, but it's time for our first-ever character section on Kaz, or Kazuhiro Miller, played by Robin Atkin Downs. Snake, um, would you be up for going to the coast to watch the sunset? Just the two of us? We may know the fate of Master Kazuhiro Miller, but now we get to do Kaz Origins. Before diving headfirst into this analysis, I have to do a mea culpa. I've been saying his name wrong. I've been saying Kazuhiro when it should be Kazahira. Ra. But I feel less bad since Kojima was able to retcon this dude's name a couple times, so I'm just going to retcon our podcast coverage. And boy oh boy, our names a big deal with Master Kazuhiro McDonald Benedict Miller. We'll start with the ones this game wants us to care about, Kazuhira and Miller. The former comes from the Japanese word for peace, as we discussed in our introductory episode. Oddly enough, the shortened name of Kaz can be translated to peacemaker in Slavic. I also saw one place translated to destroyer of peace, which also works. Miller is his father's name that he adopted in adolescence, which we'll get to shortly in our fictional history. Of course, when I and most people met Miller, it was Master McDonnell Miller, and McDonnell has had several spellings over the years. No reason is ever given to the names McDonald or Benedict, but I think they can be explained, at least head canonically, here at the end of all things. I like to think of the McDonald now as a reference to the massive burger binge he will go on in The Phantom Pain, almost to the point of it backhandedly explaining the global rise of McDonald's in the last half century. The logical flow is likely the other way, though. With the name of McDonald, they had to do something with burgers, I guess. Benedict showed up in Kaz's name in the MGS 1998 official mission handbook, and it was further canonized in the MGS4 database and in The Phantom Pain. Best bet here is that it was a hint towards the liquid betrayal in MGS, but could also refer to the duplicitous nature of Kaz in these big boss games as well. The title of Master was affectionately given to him by his trainees, Following his mercenary career with Big Boss, Kaz would do survival training for the Green Berets, Marines, and of course, Foxhound. Under this context, he would meet Solid Snake and be one of his support staff in both Zanzibar Land and Shadow Moses. Well, kinda. Kaz's design here is fairly original, though carrying over memes as established in Metal Gear 2 Solid Snake and Liquid's cosplay in MGS 1998. He wears sunglasses almost always as a result of suffering from hypersensitivity in the eyes. He's often depicted in BDUs or fatigues with a yellow bandana around his neck. He's a blonde-eyed, blue-haired man who takes some cues from the flight captain in the original Westworld movie of the 1970s. And he is also characterized as a bit of a womanizer, though he probably has a crush on Big Boss too. One of the fun ways his horniness plays out in this game is he'll be especially excited when you extract women from the battlefield via Fulton. We can get into Kaz's fictional history now. He was the son of an American GHQ officer and a Japanese sex worker. GHQ officers were those that occupied Japan following the end of World War II. Kaz's father returned to the States before he was born, but did leave money for him and his mother, who started a small convenience store where they sold goods to occupying troops. Kaz was bullied a lot for his blonde hair and blue eyes, not fitting in with his Japanese colleagues. Already we see that Kaz is a man without a country, his identity sans frontiers. His mom would get sick and leave much of the store running duties to Kaz. Here, he began asking customers, mainly U.S. soldiers, if they knew his dad, and was able to eventually figure out his dad was Colonel Miller, and attempted to track him down in America. There, he discovered that he had a half-brother who died in Vietnam, and this had led his dad into a depression hole. This is where Kaz took his father's last name of Miller, and would eventually go to an unnamed Ivy League school. When he returned to Japan, his mom had forgotten him due to an STD she contracted as a sex worker, which. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Great. Kaz's, Kaz's parents would die shortly, his dad from suicide and his mom from her ailment. Kaz would join the JSDF, the Japan Special Defense Force, which was the extent to which Japan was allowed to militarize following World War II. Kaz was unable to really progress up the ranks, so he went on to become a mercenary thereafter. 1972 is when he'd meet Big Boss on opposite sides of the battlefield. They were opposing leaders in Colombia, with Naked Snake working on behalf of the Colombian government. It was just down to those two, and Kaz feigned that he wanted Big Boss to give him the right of Harikiri, but it was actually a trick to try and kill himself and Snake with a hidden grenade, which reminds me of Leon the Professional.
1: I'm sure that's a coincidence.
0: (laughs) But Naked Snake isn't one to be punked so easily. In possibly a very homoerotic moment, Snake clasped his hands around Kaz's before he could let the lever fly open to activate the grenade. Afterwards, Snake insisted Kaz join his new outfit. Though Snake was fighting for the Colombian government, it was just a contract job and that was now done. There is a fair amount of back and forth that happens from here. Kaz is reluctant to join MSF and even reject Snake, though Snake is insistent. Snake, or sorry, Kaz even tried to trap Big Boss with some backup forces, but Boss was able to turn that backup against Kaz, and at this point he truly enlisted to MSF, and would be second in command there, and later on with Diamond Dogs in the Phantom Pain. That gets us close enough to the events of this game, which we'll just discuss as we roll along with our Peace Walker episodes, but I do want to make sure we know the ending revelations about his character, as it will color how we interpret things along the way. Kaz will admit he had a good idea of what Paz and Galvez were actually up to, as well as their real identities. And while he's no ally to Zero, called Cypher in this game, he is a business partner of his and was also broadly aware of Zero's bigger machinations behind the scenes. As I like to say, we'll get there. We'll obviously have a lot of Miller and MGSV, both Ground Zeros and the Phantom Pain, so this won't be our last character introspection into Kaz. We know he'll eventually become a mentor to Solid Snake and refers to Big Boss as a monster during Zanzibar Land, which are all fun things to contextualize, knowing how everything spins out from the twist at the end of The Phantom Pain. Kaz did apparently get married and have a daughter named Catherine sometime around 1999. He would then move to Alaska, where in 2005, he'd be murdered just days before the Shadow Moses incident. Kaz will play on many themes over the course of this game, as well as in MGSV. As alluded to, he he himself represents a soldier without a country, not quite Japanese, not quite American. Not only does this play into the MSF themes we will talk about, but it speaks to the notion of diaspora, having a foot in two cultures but feeling like you belong to neither. This loss of national identity explodes following World War II and the immigration movements that happened thereafter, which is heavily affected by Western imperialism. Kaz will also be at the forefront of the mercenary themes that pick up from MGS4 and the idea of private military companies. That broken world of 2014 we glimpsed takes root here as Kaz keeps pushing this new kind of business, one he sees attainable through Big Boss and MSF. Kaz's relationship with Naked Snake will also lead them to being among the most shipped MGS characters the side of Solid Snake and Otacon. They even have a date mission in this game where you two can get naked and get in the love box together metal gear has always been playful with the concept of homoeroticism and masculinity which we will dive into through the course of this game as well
1: uh this is kind of a weird digression but i just wanted to say i think um this is gonna be a weird comparison to when i say it but i think kaz almost pulls a spike Beagle thing here where because robin ak and downs i don't know if you would be as familiar but he is um one of the most prolific, like various voices, voice actors in, especially in, specifically in video games, but also in just animation and and, and anime and all that. Um, he also, uh, I think he, I think he was um, the voice and motion capture of Doomsday in Batman vs Superman, famous, uh, you know, the, the character we all like so much. <laughs> <laughs> but he's one of those people. He's been in a lot of. I, I think I most know him for uh, being in a bunch of the old Justice League. It's not like cartoons. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was in... Um, he was Solaris and also Superman. He was Manchester Black in the uh, Superman vs. the Elite adaptation. He's he's very much... He's like a leading... Just You need a vaguely British sounding guy. Get this guy. <laughs> um, I think he was Sinestro. He was Baron Zemo in, in Earth's Man Heroes. He's in Night's the Republic, of course. Of course he is. Of I course. Know everyone is, also. it seems. Um, he was in Halo 2, famously. He was in Metal Gear. He's in a bunch of other... It's like various soldiers... Uh he was in Jade Empire. He was I just looked this up. He was actually in the Matrix, the Path of Neo, he was the Merovingian.
0: Oh, no kidding. <laughs>
1: um he was the English voice of Gax character in the f uh, FF7 stuff, which is the Genesis, the character, another character everyone loves. Uh he's in Gears of War. He was, I think he was in a bunch of Marvel Ultimate Alliance. He's in just a bunch of stuff. He's in Mass Effect. He's the voice of George Washington in the Assassin's Creed 3DLC where George Washington becomes a king, becomes a tyrant. Oh, God, just one of yeah. those He's one of those voice actors who's been in a lot of stuff, like Steve Bloom, and yet he's not. I don't hear Robin Ackin Downs as Kaz. cause. Like that's 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 the. I don't know if it's it's a slightly different voice than I guess he usually uses. But um, yeah, it's it's interesting that I always I I almost forgot it was Robin Ackin Downs, even though I know who that is and I've heard him in uh, at this point dozens and dozens of things. And That's really just a credit to both how, just to how distinctive a character he is, and you know the performance. Like uh, these, uh, very few people you will not find anyone who respects various voices actors more than I do, because that's hard to do. That seems like a difficult coming and read fifteen random lines and try and make them sound remotely human and decent. Like when it goes when that goes wrong, you can get a game like Skyrim where everyone is a robot. Who, yells at each other, yells bales past each other. Um I'm playing Skyrim again for some reason, and that's really standing out at being like, man, this is st- actors are doing what they can, but it's like just the way that this game they don't care about dialogue. It's not a game that cares about dialogue, so there's no there's just nothing there. It's just blank, empty. Um that is not the case with Peace Walker. <laughs> yeah. It's <laughs> what is really, I think, one of one of the most beloved characters in the series because It's a very good uh, professional doing a very good job with very good material Mm -hmm. and really stands out.
0: Yeah. I was going to say, I wasn't really familiar with his work elsewhere, but you listed at least a half dozen things that I have encountered him in. I probably honestly like Baron Zemo and Earth's Mightiest Heroes might be where I know him best from. Um, but I did touch some of those other games. He's in
1: the Uncharted games. Yeah. As a bunch of various characters. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I, I really
0: love Kaz. I think he's a great character. Um he's really important in this game, but he's like absolutely a load-bearing character in MGSV. Um mm-hmm. cuz at least this game is still very much about Big Boss and his arc, but um given how little Snake uh t- you know actually does stuff in terms of like the cutscenes and the cinematics mm-hmm. in MGSV, it's really the Kaz show. I really think he's the MVP of that game along with uh Troy Baker probably as Ocelot. Mm-hmm. But or, I mean, Skullface as well. Everyone's always great in these games, but...
1: Skullface is not a low band character. Uh, Skullface is in it for, like, 90 minutes. It's great, but... He's not on the comms with you, and I
0: think that's yeah, one of the fun yeah. parts, is um, with Hader here, and he doesn't have as much with uh, Kiefer Sutherland in the games, but it's like, this is the first time, or at least the first time since, like, Metal Gear Solid 2, and I guess 4, but it's like you're on the codec with your buddy, or, like, someone you kind of view as an equal or peer, um, the way Snake and Otacon do near the end of their stuff. It's not, like, a commanding officer. It's not uh, Naked Snake and Zero, or even Colonel Campbell, who's Snake's buddy, but um, it
1: definitely feels like they're equals. But lies to Snake several times. Yeah. Yeah, and and really, all due respect to Amanda, Cecile, and Chico, and everyone else in this game, but, like, this is, this is the first game where you have a codec, and it's really just, like, it's really just cause. Like, it's mostly... 75% of the conversations are him. I mean, he, mm-hmm. he briefs you before every mission. He, it never once lags the performance and the character. He never once doesn't seem like cause. So it's great. It's, mm-hmm. it's one of the best characters in the series.
0: And I, I'm actually, you know, because I love bringing you the best coverage, I've listened to every briefing file from every character for every mission so far and will continue to do so. There is some really great stuff that's not in the main narrative, just of Kaz talking about his Japanese heritage or, um, you know, about being picked on in school, all that stuff. It's all a lot of the stuff I just went over is buried in the tapes, but um, Robin, Robin Atkins down talking about it is much more interesting than me relaying it to you over this podcast. So, um, I recommend checking it out. Um, I guess we can take a, just a brief second to also say this is the game where the codec changed kind of because it's no longer its own screen where Ooh. everything else kind of stops and you have to uh, sit there and watch it or skip it. Um, it's actually far more integrated into the game. Like you'll get calls during missions um, and the missions doesn't don't stop during it, um, which will definitely be a big part of MGSV. Um, and then you also have these little kind of codec calls usually at the end or beginning of every mission uh, where Kaza says, this is the latest development that you need to know about, or Paz is missing, or something like that. So yeah, Kaz has brought guests to the beach party, and they're not CIA. Snake's response of time to move seems to indicate that the CIA is trying to track down Big Boss and his renegade unit. The guests are two envoys from Costa Rica, Ramon Galvez Mina, a professor, and his student, Paz Ortega Andrade. Both are aliases in hindsight. The reason for their visit is an unknown security force moving into Costa Rica, supposedly hired by the Developmental Corporation of Costa Rica, or CODESA. Based on their weaponry, it's very likely a CIA-backed movement of troops, at least as Galvez surmises. Costa Rica lacks a military force due to its peace constitution, modeled after Japan's Article 9, which outlaws war, so he is hoping Big Boss can be the deterrent Costa Rica needs to repel the U.S. forces. I understand that you and your men have neither state nor ideology, that you will fight any foe. Please, you must drive them out of our defenseless country. In exchange, Galvez is offering MSF a Forward Operating Base, or FOB, out in the Caribbean, a place where Snake and his men can set down roots, according to Kaz, who also asked for a chopper. Galvez will see what he can do, and Kaz is all for it, but Snake is not so sure. They're not just dogs of war in his mind, and more importantly, if they really are going up against American security forces, Snake's mini-army won't make much of a difference. This is where Galvez brings forth Paz, his supposed student over at the UN University of Peace. Apparently, she was captured and abused by this unknown security force, but was able to escape. This game introduces some um, interactivity here. You can (laughs) zoom in on Paz's body through her clothes, but not her underwear, to see the marks her captors left on her. Of course, at this point, the player should feel, hopefully, a little skeevy about seeing a supposed 16-year-old girl in her small clothes, so let's take this as our cue to deep dive Paz, who is very much not 16 years old. My name is Paz,
1: and I will do anything to protect my namesake. It is my one and only purpose. Please,
0: get them out of my country. Make them leave Costa Rica. Paz Ortega Andrade, played by Tara Strong, and we should just start with Tara Strong, because uh, as it turns out, she (sighs) kind of sucks, as in she's an anti-vaxxer and a bit of a loon. She's also literally everywhere in the games and animation world. She's all over the DC world as Harley Quinn, Raven, Batgirl, and was prominently Miss Minutes, the animated clock in this year's Loki on Disney+. She was also Azula in Avatar The Last Airbender and has had prominent roles in My Little Pony and Final Fantasy X. Yeah,
1: that's where I, that's what I know her from, I would say. I don't have as, like, I don't think she quite does the same. I think it's more just pauses, not as, like, regardless of Tara Strong, like, kind of being a shithead, I don't think the characters is, like, quite developed enough to do the same thing, where it just it does sound more like Tara Strong to me. Like, like I know who that is. <clears throat> it's also like it's weird because she's actually doing a much different voice than usual but i don't know i think she just has one of those voices where it's kind of hard to disguise i guess mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. yeah i mean it, it'd be hypocritical of me not to give her the same credit of just being around forever and doing a pretty good job most of the time so you know yeah
0: she's someone i generally used to have positive opinions about just like yeah she's very great workhorse voice actress um but obviously when you know, she's a big anti-vaxer, and I think she has some other shithead opinions that I didn't really feel like diving into. Mm. Um, it just yeah. It, it, its not the purpose of this podcast, but I didn't want to either. I didn't want to skip over it either. That you know, yeah, yeah. We believe in getting your shots, just like Solid Snake. <laughs> Her name of Paz, of course, translates to peace, and Ortega derives from the Latin urtica, a genus of plants known for having stinging hairs called nettles. And Paz definitely has surprise stings for us across the story, perhaps most prominently that her name is Pacifica Ocean, Paz is just a cover. Pacifica Ocean is a super Kojima name, which allows him to evoke the concept of pacifism, one of his favorite and most steadfast themes through Metal Gear Solid. But also, in a game associated with borders and frontiers, the Pacific Ocean is the very wide boundary that separates Japan and the US, the two most common targets of Kojima's political commentary. Paz's physical design appears to derive from the design of Sunny from MGS4, at least based on the Shikawa art. In this game, she will be featured in a red raincoat, one of the few items that gets colored during the Ashley Wood cutscenes. It's immediately evocative of Schindler's List, where Spielberg used the same technique, though to different ends.
1: Yeah, (laughs) slightly different ends, I would say. (laughs) That's that's another one, though. That uh, it's uh, that's not even like almost not even worth mentioning because it's such an obvious reference.
0: Yeah, me pointing it out is more for anyone who's just listening who hasn't actually played Peace Walker, which you should play Peace Walker. But it's definitely the one game that people probably have not played if. They Have played the others. stuff,
1: so, probably the hardest to get, mm-hmm. as is, yeah. You had problems getting it, so
0: yep. I had to uh buy a old Xbox 360 version just so I could play it again for this podcast, which I don't mind because now I have a playable version of MGS 2 and 3 that I can mm-hmm. play at any time. I do have the old PlayStation 2 discs, but um, I do not have a system that plays PlayStation 2 anymore.
1: I do, but I, I need to get like some. I need to get new components and stuff for it. I just Mm -hmm. don't really feel like doing that right now, so... It's
0: not a priority. She's otherwise depicted as having blonde hair and blue skin, wearing long boots, and a schoolgirl uniform. The J-pop song that plays during the Zeke battle, Koino Shiryoku, is officially designated as her character theme. The song title translates to love deterrence. Paz has a facade or outward personality that's openly reverent of peace but in reality, all she's known is war, making her a war orphan, to borrow a phrase from Big Mama in MGS4. Both of these things, the illusion of peace and child soldiers, will be major themes of the entire Walkman trilogy of big boss games. Additionally, Paz is noted both as a skilled engineer and deep sea diver, which will factor into her hijacking Metal Gear Zeke and then surviving her encounter with Snake in the end. We know little of Pacifica Ocean's early life, She was raised in America and was recruited early by Cypher, again, Zero, to be a triple agent for his new network, undergoing harsh training along the way. She was loyal to Zero, though more out of fear than love, and she remains one of the few people to have met face-to-face with Zero in recent years to discuss the matter of Big Boss specifically. And I mentioned the age thing. She is actually anywhere from 23 to 26 years old during the events of Peace Walker, though she poses as a 16-year-old. The rest of her story we will tell over the course of this game, and then, of course, into Ground Zeroes and The Phantom Pain. Her her capture shortly after these events kick off Skullface's master plan, but as we say, we'll get there.
1: I don't know. I don't think she's like that. I I think she... Despite, I would say, not really being like a, treated like a sex object. Aside from that, I, I don't know. The first thing is kind of a weird Kojima thing, where I think it's more just. I almost feel like he's playing with you, like to make you think he's doing a pervert thing. Mm-hmm. But, but I don't know. I think she's she's a fu- decent character. She's not really. She's kind of written in to be an obvious antagonist from the start. I feel like
0: there's always like, someone like that
1: introduced early. Like I don't know. She's she's almost too. Like how almost comically pacifist and like, I feel like I feel like there always has to be somebody that Snake believes in at the start of the game, and then like I can't believe they lied to me. Like it's like when like Naomi and MGS four is like oh really no way she's she's betraying Snake again that's crazy. I feel like that with Paz the whole time. I don't know. It's I feel like that that character ends up being a woman more often than I think is comfortable. Although that may just be playing off of Japanese tropes of, like, pure – especially with Paz. I don't – it's – I'm interested in, in, in what, like, the genesis of the character is, if it was really anything more than just, we need someone who betrays Snake, because that's kind of what she feels like. She's kind of a token character to me, but I don't know. Paz is fine. I don't think she's a bad character by any means. She's just not – she isn't even the best – well, how old is Amanda? Amanda's not in their She isn't even the, the, the best – blonde haired 20 something woman character in this game so yeah that's Kaz. um <laughs> hey he's like in his 30s i'd say i would say he's an adult man oh for sure
0: despite Paz's protestations snake says he can't help which is when galvez admits he knows that snake is big boss snake is taken aback as the screen fades to black and we see the text prologue an army without borders we cut back to some gameplay as Snake has arrived at Puerto de Alba, a port city in Costa Rica. Alba translates to sunrise in English, which immediately triggered an alarm for me. To open MGS3, Naked Snake infiltrates Rasviet to save Sokolov. Rasviet translates to dawn or sunrise from Russian. And your first mission in the Phantom Pain to save Kaz? Guandai Town, which you guessed it translates to sunrise as well.
1: You're going to love uh, one sp- specific character name in Revengeance.
0: <laughs> I I do not understand that reference. <laughs> There's
1: a character named Sundowner.
0: Oh, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that's intentional in some way. He also
1: looks like Joe Biden <laughs> in the face.
0: <laughs> that, that I can't say anything. <laughs> anyway, the beach map here is empty, which is where you can do some shooting practice before you progress to the game's first enemy-laden maps. Coconuts, barrels, and target dummies are all around you for you to try out your Mark II Hush Puppy, aka the Trank Pistol, and the M16 Assault Rifle, the weapon Big Boss will be shown holding in most of the game's cutscenes. I do like the general pacing here. The game starts with the CQC tutorial that allows you to play for a bit, and then we get the first Galvez-Paz cutscene, and then this shooting training which allows the player to take control again before the last half of the Galvez-Paz table setters.
1: Yeah, I I like this a little bit too. It's um the different. It looks nice. I don't know. It looks pretty good. I mean, again, this is a PSP game. It looks pretty good. I would say, and you know, it's just nice to get to play with the mechanics a little bit before you actually start the game. Mm -hmm. It's not something this series does that much, I guess. Kind of the opening room, and I guess the start of the tanker and the start of the uh, and the uh, dock in um what the fuck in uh MGS One is uh. Kind of like that, but yeah, I don't really feel so. MGS
0: three, which is, you know, possibly my favorite game of all time. It does take a while between the halo jump landing. Um, and then the first thing you actually do is just go climb up a tree and get your backpack. And then it's a bunch more codex because then you have the introduction with the boss and paramedic and all that stuff. Um, so that is one of like the one of the flaws of that game is to really get into the gameplay if you're watching the cutscenes it really takes you about 30 minutes whereas here it kind of gives you something then it does a 10 minute cutscene and then it gives you you know a little more something before and the cutscenes I think are generally just a little bit shorter overall especially coming off MGS4 because of system limitations I didn't actually have this in the notes but I also want to point out that I believe this is the last game in which Kojima uses real names for guns and weapons and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. I'll dig into the reasoning more, perhaps, when we get to Ground Zeroes. But I think he felt he was just feeding this like military-obsessed culture or gun culture or something like that. So he decided he's not going to use actual gun names after Peace Walker. I think he made this decision like 2011 or 2012.
1: I also really like – I feel like you mentioned – Technical limitations. I feel like a lot of the really positive changes to the pacing are because of those, and I wonder if if this had been like a full release on the PS3, if they would have still done a lot of the same stuff as four and three, or if like because <clears throat> that I think is the one I think is the one change that even people who don't like the Walkman games like more is just the the speed of getting in and out of the game is much better. I know a lot of people miss the codec stuff, and that's a big criticism of of uh, V but like I mean at a certain point like it's better <laughs> this is a better way to make a game
0: it's a better experience for the player overall um, I do like when Metal Gear like the earlier titles were at its best the coded conversations were like placed in the correct spot for pacing mm-hmm. or whatever purposes but even then it was There would always be, like, whether it's Rosemary calling you in South America or a lot of the Miller Naomi stuff in uh, Metal Gear Solid when you're trying to race towards the ending, but then you're backtracking, so you have all these codec calls to fill in. I feel like that's where it kind of feels like extra or, like, people are just like, you know, when am I going to get to the fireworks factory? I love the... um, kind of real time calls that happen in this game in uh Phantom Pain, uh just because like you can actually do stuff while you're having these conversations or listening in on these conversations. And I
1: think I think there is a happy medium between the two. Like I but I feel like a lot of people who, who say that about V in particular, like the tapes f- fill that role. Like if you really want that deep codex stuff that's still there, you don't have to sit through it. I think it's just a better way to do it because as good as the codex stuff could be in one, two, and three, they're not there's there's a good amount that's just either it's drivel or it's repetitive, or it's just like it I mean, we talked about it with four, like there are times when you have to you have to set aside an hour to get through some shit. And it's like mm-hmm. a, you have to. Like there's no way, like you can't just stop because you can't stop in the middle and save in the middle of the codex stuff. And it's just this is just a better way to make a game. And I I'm really wondering if that was a deliberate choice. I'm sure I'm sure it was to an extent cuz Four got criticized a lot but I feel like being on a PSP on the PSP kind of forced their hand and I'm wondering I just would like to know the background of that more I think maybe I'll look it up.
0: The thing I really like about um these later games and especially how they do these codec calls is a lot of at least the way I play Metal Gear Solid, you know, I play very deliberately stealthily, you know, I might hide and I might take like an hour to clear out a little outpost and say the phantom pain um those are ideal for listening to these audio tapes so i'm getting that information while i'm just like kind of laying in the ground waiting for a patrol to pass um it just feels a lot better and also because a lot of the codec stuff especially in one two and a little bit of three is that sometimes they just have to like make sure you're like good on like game mechanics like go up to this door and press the action button snake mm-hmm. and that'll call the elevator um, stuff like that that gets in there or you have like Raiden and Ames cutting to codec just because the the, the the DVD disc doesn't hold enough for them to do that as a full cutscene. scene um, so you have a lot more or Raiden and Emma are next to each other but talking through codec yeah. just because um, and those are things where it's obvious like okay this is a way so you don't have to render full uh, cutscenes and have the characters doing stuff. You can just have their heads in, you know, infrared and go from there. I can see the pluses and minuses of both generally, but I generally, as just in terms of playing these games, really love where they are in this game and then in five. After Snake finishes his target practice and blasts the gate to infiltrate the port base, the cutscenes resume. Kaz and Snake are still debating whether to take Galvez and pa- and Paz up on their offer. Kaz is gung-ho on expanding MSF and putting down more permanent routes, but Snake, while struggling to light his cigar, responds. We don't need a place to stay, Kaz. We're nomads, we always will be. What, you'd rather keep wandering from conflict to conflict? Tools in the hands of whoever's fighting at the time? The second we settle down, who's to say we won't become the warmongers? Kaz keeps insisting, however, But Snake is reticent given that this unknown force in Costa Rica is a CIA proxy, which means Galvez is very likely a member of the KGB. Allying with him would put them firmly in the crosshairs of the U.S. empire. Frustrated, but curious, they decide to make some coffee and have another chat with Galvez. Sorry to keep doing asides, but with all the talk of coffee here, I think back to Clear and Present Danger, the Tom Clancy adaptation starring Harrison Ford as Jack Ryan and Willem Dafoe, set in Columbia. Coffee is often invoked in that film as a cover for drugs and weapons, and I get that vibe from this game as well. We know Kojima loves those early Clancy films, Hunt for Red October, chief among them. Anyway, negotiations with Galvez resume with an olive branch fire. Galvez is able to light Snake's cigar with the lighter hidden in his prosthetic hand, or phantom limb, if you will. He's honored to meet the legendary Big Boss, though Snake bristles at that codename he left behind 10 years ago. Galvez then calls him John, letting us know that this Galvez guy has done his homework. Snake simply replies that he doesn't have a name appropriate for someone named John Doe, and a nice follow-up on the A Name Means Nothing on the Battlefield meme already well-established in the series. Before we go too much further, let's properly square up Galvez, or as he's actually named, Vladimir Alexandrovich Zadornov, voiced by Stephen Bloom. We know who you are, Big Boss. That is why we've come to you so we will probably use Galvez and Zadorinov interchangeably, so be prepared for that. And while he is a major character for Peace Walker, his meme doesn't really carry over into MGSV like Paz or Kaz, so this character section will be much shorter. His actual name of Vladimir ties in with the other people named for Peace. Vladimir translates to Ruler of Peace or Ruler of the World. So this story starts with three people named Peace confronting Naked Snake. I've had Shakespeare on the brain lately, so I'm going to find some way to make Kaz, Paz, and Zerdoinov be the three witches to Snake's Macbeth in the coming episodes. Zerdoinov's most prominent design feature is the prosthetic hand on his right arm. Like Kaz's bandana and Paz's raincoat, it gets coloration in the 2D sequences. And it should make every Metal Gear fan think of the red prosthetic Venom Snake brandishes in the Phantom Pain. Zerdornyov's arm has a built-in lighter and can be turned into a rocket, the latter again coming up in The Phantom Pain. And the prosthetic arm is explicitly meant to be a shout-out to Dr. No. His hand was lost running missions for the KGB, which is the extent to which we care about his fictional history. Most of what matters crops up here during the Peace Walker incident. Snake knows he's KGB, but his actual identity and plans won't be outed until near the end of the fourth chapter and his subsequent detention and escape attempts in the fifth chapter are the catalyst to this game's ending. One last note, this whole opening sequence is in part calling out to Seven Samurai, in that a people that supposedly can't defend themselves are hoping to employ seasoned soldiers to help defend their village. Peace Walker has like eight layers of betrayal on top of that premise, but this was specifically mentioned by the production team as an inspiration.
1: Again, I think Galvez does not overcome that, hey, I know that voice actor thing, but I don't really care because it's just Steve Bloom doing silly accents, which is fun. Doing silly accents and, and uh, as he does every time he shows up in Metal Gear, trying to out David Hayter, and he does makes a very good attempt at it.
0: It's Snake's turn to dig as he asks what Galvez is called back at center, and that's enough canniness for Galvez to get to the point. I am probably stretching here, but the Ashley Wood art of Galvez, uh, a portrait side view with a high collar, reminds me a lot of Shinkawa's design for Solidus in MGS2. No connection other than the visual, but it caught my eye. Before we get to Galvez's response, I want to break here to talk about Ashley Wood's cutscenes and how wonderful it all is. Most of the coloring is in browns and grays, with black line art in that classic Shinkawa style. These sequences feature limited animation, like tears rolling down a face or fingers spreading for the peace sign. There is plenty of onomatopoeia, words that represent sounds, and it is usually colored and kinetic on the screen. But there are splashes of color here and there. Kaz's bandana is yellow, Galvez's prosthetic is red, just like Paz's raincoat. There will be others throughout the game, but Naked Snake basically remains in the gray and brown colors the whole time, save his blue eyes perhaps symbolizing the murky political waters he's navigating, or that this morally great character is walking the line between good and bad, and as we know, he does end up becoming a war criminal of sorts down the road.
1: You know, maybe he just has a really good camo index, if you think of it, well, He could. <laughs> now, I, said this, I said this on Twitter, and I, I stand by it. I think the specific, I mean, it, we call it a visual novel. It's a comic book. Like, that's, that's the esthetic mm-hmm. I think specifically a comic book too, not, not a manga. Like, I think that's what he was going for. I th- that's what they were going for. Mm-hmm. Although I mean, it, it is, it is very similar looking to like a, a older uncolored manga, but you know, whatever. Um I think this game may have my favorite presentation in history. I just, I love, I could watch those cutscenes for, I could watch, it's funny that we don't get the, you know, 45 minute codex. Cause I could, I could watch that. I would watch that easily. Mm-hmm. It's great. It's extremely entertaining to me. It's, it's a good it's a good way to replace the sort of kinetic that's the thing we, we talked about with mds 3 a lot is the characters kind of bouncing off each other and and, and everyone's just like interesting to watch has good mocap and it's just, you know everyone it's a good to replace that kineticism with its own sort of like the it, it's a lot bouncier and a lot more energetic than you would assume flat illustrations would be it just it's great it's yeah. it's and, and because Metal Gear is Metal Gear and there's, there's always been – it's always been kind of written to be – like that's a positive of the codec system is you're relying more on on vocal performance and you're relying more on just inflection. You're able to get that across in these games. And also, uh, I will say this is one of the things about Peace Walker that I think works the best. Um, there's probably less lip sync in this game than any other – is there any? There may not be any. So um the localization is much, much better. Aside from parts in the three, this is the first game in the series, and maybe only, I don't know, V at some points, where you don't get like the weird recursive strangely you know, the strange translations that don't really make sense. Like it feels like somebody went through this and was like, Well, how would English speakers talk to each other like humans? Oh, like this. Mm-hmm really comes across in this game. Like it's there's not that much of it. And when it is there, it's like strange and poetic, which is Kojima's best Mm -hmm. like weird stuff. It's great. It's it's yeah, I, I feel like this is the game that really carries his writing best, whereas two kind of is failed by or fails it sometimes. Or is failed by it, depending on how you feel about him as a writer. (laughs) No,
0: I think that's a good point. I had never really considered that. But yeah, because anytime I think about like weird translations or maybe weird localizations, I don't ever think about these last couple games. Mm. And, uh, you know, with MGSV specifically, the whole idea of language is so integral. So I wonder if that just got a couple more passes. Um, But it's also like there's so much more that's like a lot of the conversations in MGSV are like not between snake the player and some other character where someone's just telling you stuff. But a lot mm-hmm. of times it's conversations between other people. Um, so it doesn't have this weird, like exposition style way of relaying stuff. So you understand what to do all the time. Mm. Um, but no, I think that's all great. And as for the cutscene stuff, we're, we'll come back to it like in a, maybe three or four episodes. Cause when they start redoing all the boss stuff from MGS three in it, um, it also looks great. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's worth talking about on its own, but um, it's worth calling out. I think it just plays so much better, um, or just plays really well for these games.
1: I think all of that it really contributes to Snake being, this is the most Snake, I feel like, but in any of the games. Like, people wanted the, uh, you know, people, they were clamoring for the guy at the start of MGS2, they want that solid Snake to play as, and you never get to play as him. And this is like, it's weird because it's not fan service that was wanted. Maybe it's because people didn't want it beforehand, but like this is Big Boss. And this Mm -hmm. is probably the only time you play as him. And he is the most respected. And I feel like the, the game itself, this is maybe the only Metal Gear game that never tries to mess with your perceptions of him. Because MGS One has the, the you enjoy all the killing. MGS Two, obviously, that's the whole game. Three has him like I, I, he's he's a hero in three. I'm using the snakes interchangeably here because the, uh, yeah, it, yeah, design wise they, they are interchangeable. Um, Snake Eater, I mean, I think there's a lot of that, but then he gets the end. The game ends with him just being completely laid low and and emasculated and destroyed. And then you know V is that's the whole game, and then yeah, like. So yeah, like this is this is the game. I guess Ground Zeroes, but Ground Zeroes isn't long enough to really get that. This is the only game where I think Snake is wholly seen as like a heroic and uh, aspirational figure, and that never really the game never really pulls the rug out and changes that. It's like no, this guy's cool. You like him.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He does kind of take his first steps to being. Whatever you want to consider the later mm-hmm. big boss, whether a warlord or war criminal, or I think a lot of Kojima stuff is supposed to be. There's some room for interpretation mm-hmm. or, um, for it, um, and you know this game kind of ends with him claiming the title of big boss. Um, so you can take that as a step, but like, but everything at least through the first four chapters, like you're rooting for this dude, like without thing, and he is. You know, because we talk about snakes being pawns in their games, and he is a little bit of a pawn because, you know, Paz and Galvez and then Cypher is kind of behind it all. But it still feels like Big Boss is making choices of his own. Um, mm-hmm. That feels different. And I think a lot of that will come out with the Strange Love stuff I think is really
1: great. I do want to say it's not like Coldman is not – like it's not like it was a, uh, a simulation or anything like that. No, this is a real situation that Snake was the only person who could resolve. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like it was a; it was all faked. No, he was being played a little bit, but also like we just got to. I think he knows that the entire time, so that's fine. And yeah, I don't. It's just like this snake is the most aspirational. This snake is the most. He's the coolest one. He's the most. I don't know if he's the most heroic, but he's the most like. He's portrayed more heroically than the other snakes. It's why I really feel like there's a. and We don't get into Kojima's politics all that much, but this game is the game to do it with. And the 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 funniest thing I've ever seen with uh, all the the still ex- the still existing uh, weird super alt right like warmonger section of the fan base that loves that shit and thinks that that thinks that Kojima hates communism because Russia are bad guys in these games. Um, they always like to say that that well you can't say that the of Guevara stuff in this game and it means that Kojima actually likes him because it's Big Boss saying it. Big Boss is the bad guy. It's like no, he's not. Fuck off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> No, Play this wow. game for five minutes and tell me he's supposed to be the bad guy. Like Kojima, again, we we can defend his writing. He is not. Uh, he's he knows plenty of writers who use subtext and they're all cowards. He's not that kind of writer. we would be like, actually, this guy is evil. This guy, this guy that I I constantly portray with heroic shots where I'm below him looking up and his hair is flowing and everyone in the game is like, he's cool. And I want to fuck him. Yeah, that yeah, that guy's bad. That's not how he writes. He's physically incapable of writing like that.
0: Jumping back to Galvez, he pulls out the quote, land as slim as a whip, hot as torture, which, Lisa, please, I'm aware of the works of Pablo Neruda. The Chilean poet was referring to Central America in that quote. Galvez and the KGB want to wrestle away Central America from American control, making it a socialist stronghold separating North and South America— Taking away America's backyard, and with it, economic production, shipping lanes, and strategic value. I'm gonna pause here again because shipping lanes jumped out at me this time around. MGS has never shied away from economics, from the petrodollar in MGS 2 to the war economy in 4. But by invoking trade routes, we are watching the economic critiques get more precise. This will come up again in MGSV when Venom Snake is smuggled out of Cyprus via the Suez Canal. And when this episode drops, it will be about a year out from the evergreen freighter getting stuck in the Suez. Galvez goes on to call Central America the key to winning the Cold War, and their machinations have already begun. They are instigating unrest against the American-backed Somoza government in Nicaragua while funding the Sandinista National Liberation Front. And that's just the first domino in this ongoing game between East and West. But all that proxy war stuff aside, that's not why Galvez is looking to hire Snake and MSF. The CIA is doing something else besides that anti-communist posturing. Galvez wants Snake to figure out what that Other project is, and then remove these American-backed forces from Costa Rica.
1: I just want to say real quick, and this will be short. uh, I think one other thing about this era of the of games that I think works better is um, you can always just fall back on the Cold War as like a smokescreen for Triple Agents and duplicity and all that shit. Whereas like after the Cold War, it's it's more nebulous. It's it's always just Patriot stuff, and like that gets kind of tiresome. Whereas the Cold War is a constant. Like, I kind of feel like if he could redo it, Kojimu would just set the whole series in the, during the Cold War. Because I feel like that. I mean, that would that would rob it of some of the future tech stuff he loves. But I just think like that's a more apt setting for this kind of game.
0: Uh, and I do think, but mostly because I saw, you know, extremely online leftist discourse yesterday about it. We should point out that the Cold War is almost... Um, the American propaganda term for it um, mm-hmm. to make it seem like not a lot of stuff happened, but like, we literally like destroyed Vietnam, Cambodia, most of Latin America. Like we were running overt and covert military operations the entire time, just because we didn't go out to full out land war with the Soviet union. Um, it wasn't really a cold war by any stretch. There was a lot of people who died and were bombed and killed. And we're actually going to talk about it a lot during this game because um the game very much brings up almost all the CIA intrusions into uh Latin America over the sixties and seventies. Um and before that and you know of course after that as well.
1: Yeah, it's mostly it was referred to as the Cold War because it was thought to be like a an outlier. Like, oh this is strange. And we didn't quite understand that just post-World War II, we just had entered a period where uh Powerful nations had kind of decided that they just weren't going to fight each other directly. Like this, just wasn't World War II was so devastating, and they understood. I think even even those like warmonger types understood that like the amount of destruction to infrastructure that would happen, it's just not worth it. It's just huge, you can't really do after World War II. You can't really do like huge land wars between huge between powers, and because like Europe can only really take so much. <laughs> world wars devastated most of the infrastructure of Central Europe, like to the extent that I think there are parts of France that are still uninhabitable. It's it, you know, <clears throat> why 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 do that when you can just go to go into Asia and kill each other there? It's simpler for them.
0: Kaz then accuses Galvez of using Paz as a sob story to buy their sympathy, but no, there is a reason Paz is here, even if she is, quote-unquote, obliviously outwardly to Galvez's KGB ties. She was captured, and her friend was killed, but she was able to get away with the cassette tape that her friend had made. Galvez busts out a Sony Walkman, or technically a stereo cassette player model TPS-L2. As we described in our opening episode, the Walkman is one of the most important pieces of hardware in Kojima's life. The first time he could take his love of music mobile, and it would be heavily patterned after in creating these last couple big boss games. Honestly, we could do a character deep dive on the Walkman, given how prominently it features. Maybe in the Phantom Pain. We'll see. Back to the cassette tape, though. At first, it's bird songs. A quetzal, Kaz suggests. The phoenix bird, Snake follows up. Phoenix is, of course, known for their cycle of life and death and rebirth, or, if we want to marvel the shit, Jean Grey. And I am not just being glib here. There's a very specific reason I mention a major woman character who was widely renowned as a hero before turning, dark, and then dying in the end. Roll tape, please. Now it gets interesting. Get rid of it. I chase it back to its nest. You can't. The snake's too vicious. It's all... Many
1: people. I chase it away. It will bite you unless you kill it. Go home. Boss. Awesome.
0: Voice print analysis confirms that this voice is indeed that of the legendary hero and criminal, the boss. What? That's right. It's the boss. And you can catch our horse in that clip too. There's a third voice, a British woman who our characters aren't able to identify, but on replay we know this is Dr. Strangelove. We'll get to her a little later on in the story. All of a sudden, Snake is having flashes back to Operation Snake Eater and his last showdown with the boss, all rendered gorgeously in the 2D art style of the game. While he's clearly shook, Galvez seems to know the whole truth of what happened in Selino Yarsk. Despite Snake and Kaz's reluctance, there's too much going on for them to say no now. Snake says he'll do it for Paz. Okay, for peace then. And now we return to the gameplay to wrap up this first mission, which includes all the cutscenes and both the tutorials we've already covered. There's two simple maps here, one in the jungle and one at the radio station, essentially an urban environment. When you clear these maps, we go back to 2D cutscenes as Snake takes the radio station. Snake walks past a tortured prisoner of war on his way to the command center overhearing that spears are being transported. Snake gets a jump on the radio officer, and the player gets an interactive 2D CQC QTE sequence here. OMG, what the fuck, BBQ. (laughs) (laughs) That extra B is for BYO BB. In the process, Snake learns these spears are being moved into the mountains in Irazu. Outside, Snake sees a strange aerial vehicle fly away, humming some sort of tune. This we will eventually learn is the Chrysalis, one of the game's AI beasts the player will battle. Snake hops on the radio with Kaz. Kaz, this place is full of film badges,
1: dozens of them. Film badges? Like the ones used to measure radiation exposure? (sighs) The radio man was wearing one. And whoever he was talking to called the cargo spears. Wait, that would mean? Nukes. They're bringing nukes into Costa Rica, Holy mother of
0: God! The text, directed by Hideo Kojima, followed by the title card, Metal Gear Solid Peace Walker, flashes on screen, which will wrap us up on this first story episode of the game. So that's mission complete for this episode. Our frequency is Podcast Sans Frontiers at gmail.com and at Pod Front on Twitter and Instagram. You can support Podcast Sounds Frontiers and all my other projects at patreon.com slash Manuclear Bomb, which Manuclear Bomb, hey, that's me, I've been Manu. You can find me covering The Lord of the Rings over at My Brother, My Captain, My Podcast.
1: I'm still Brian, and I'm a new man, El
0: Nuevo. Shout out to our sound editor, Stephen Boyd, aka DJ Empirical. Please remember to like, review, and subscribe on your favorite podcast application. So until next time, remember to find a way when heavens divide.